cars toppled, buildings entirely crushed and crumbled. I'm not sure if it's safe to report from my vantage point. I, I really need to leave. So the fences inform me that the surrounding areas are, are in ruin. I, I see some people running now. In the opinion of this reporter, if this nation, or in fact the world, ever needed heroes, that time is now. That time is now. to another exciting episode of the Fire and Water Podcast, the official podcast of FirestormFan.com and AquamanShrine.net. I am one of your hosts, Rob Kelly from the AquamanShrine.net, and Shag is out again this week, still on his world tour. So joining me this week for a very special look back and a really great story is nuclear sub extraordinaire, Dr. Ange. Ange, how you doing? I'm doing great. Hey, thanks very much for inviting me to do this. I'm excited. Thank you for coming on the show. This is really, really, I'm, I'm super excited to talk about this story. This is really fun. And as anyone who looked at their, uh, their iPhone or whatever before they uh, played this episode, we are going to be talking about a very special dead man story. It's written by Alan Brennard, and it features a very special guest star, which we'll all figure out why uh, Angie's here to talk about it in a few moments. But before that, uh, we have to thank our sponsor. This episode of the Fire and Water Podcast is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. Instock Trades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 45% off, with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. Uh, Ange, what do you have? Well, I thought I would sort of build upon this story a little bit, and so my recommendation is Superman, The Man of Steel, Volume 1, the trade paperback, which collects the John Byrne Man of Steel miniseries, issues 1 to 6. It sports a cover by Jerry Ordway, and it's 152 pages long. It really uh, set the stage for the Superman universe in the post-crisis era. And it was originally $14.99, and now on in-stock trades, it's on sale for $8.24, a savings of 45%. Good deal. That was a great series. I, I remember buying that at the time. That was just a great, great series. Uh, for me, I'm going to go the other way and talk about Dead Man. Uh, there's a lot of Dead Man collections uh, available, which is great. I'm going after Dead Man Trade Paperback Volume 3, which collects uh, the Dead Man stories from Phantom Stranger numbers 33, 39-41, Brave and the Bold 133, Superman Family 183, World's Finest 223 and 227, and DC Superstars number 18. you got writers Arnold Drake and Paul Levitz, artists Mike Grell and Kurt Schaffenberger, features 
a beautiful cover uh, by Jim Aparo and uh, featuring a, a really cool logo. Uh, I really like the trade dress on these editions. It's really funky and really stylized. It's it's really sharp. So uh, I've always liked Dead Man. And anytime when he's teaming up with the Phantom Stranger, that's just like double plus good. So the normal price is $16.99. In stock trades price is $9.34. That's 45% off. So that is a great deal. So for this and your other for this and all your other trade paperwork needs, please visit InStockTrades.com. And we thank them for their support. Uh, so yeah, so as I said, um, the story we are going to be covering for this uh, episode, and reason Ange is on, is from Christmas with the Superheroes number two, DC's uh, you know one-off Christmas special that they uh, they were producing back then. I guess they still do them now. Uh, this story is by Alan Brennert and Dick Giordano. The title is "Should Old Acquaintance Be Forgot?" And the reason we are covering this now. Uh, in September as opposed to Christmas, because it is a Christmas story, is because uh, a little bit of self-promotion here. My interview with Alan Brennert that we did for the Fire and Water podcast, episode 95, is now running in an issue of Tomorrow's Back Issue magazine. Um, I talked to the editor, Michael Yuri and, and suggested that maybe this would make a great interview for people to read, because of course I don't assume everybody's here, heard the show, and uh, he went with it. And now the whole interview you can read in total in Back Issue uh, issue number 84, I believe. I should I should have that out before I say that. Yes, number 84. Uh, by the time all of you hear this episode, um, it will be on sale. We'll have a link to it in the show notes. You can go to the Tomorrow's store and buy it. It features tons of great articles, including one by uh, Supermates podcast host Chris Franklin about Supergirl Mego toys and some other things. So it's an all-Supergirl issue, and uh, we figured that since this story feels, features so heavily with that character... It was the perfect time to run the interview with Alan Brenner. So I'm really proud of it. As everyone knows, I'm just a giant fanboy for Alan's work. And I'm really proud to be the one that got to do this interview. And, and now it gets to run twice, once as a podcast and now as a print interview. And so I reached out to Ange a couple of weeks ago and, and said, would you like to come on the show to talk about this particular story? And thankfully he agreed. So that is what we were going to talk about. Um, so this story is – it only runs 10 pages. It's very brief, but boy is it uh, – packs a lot of good stuff and it's 10 pages um it opens up in new york with dead man taking over the body of uh, your sort of sort of prototypical rich fat cat guy we find out from the narration that this guy is somebody who takes over smaller companies and strips them of all their resources and fires their workers and you know he's kind of one of those wall street types that we remember from like those you know, 80s movies and again via the uh, narration we find out that this is something dead man does every year he takes over somebody's body and does good deeds sort of forces them to repent for their sins as it were by uh, just taking them over and, and in this case he has this guy send money to all the people he laid off and send some christmas gifts and he as he points out that this guy is uh, has no idea what he's doing and also he also uses this guy's body to send gifts to Vashnu and his friends Lorna and Cleve and he signs the cards to the Merry Christmas from Boston. So this is like a little thing that he does every year to kind of keep in, in touch with uh, his human friends. Then we have him wandering over the Central Park ice skating rink. We see him take over uh, the body of uh, a young woman and he gets to sort of experience the, the feeling of cold on his face, the feeling of wind. I mean, what's what it's like to be a regular person. He then jumps into the body of a young man who is on a date with uh, a beautiful young woman and he gets a little too into it. He actually spends a lot of the evening in the body of this man and we see him 
share a kiss with this young woman, and then they go back to uh, the woman's house with her family, and he is he's you know enjoying a Christmas. Dead man is getting to enjoy a regular Christmas like a like a normal person, and he contemplates even staying in this guy's body for longer, and then he realizes that what he's doing is he is stealing this guy's Christmas because obviously this man, his name is Paul. He's not going to have any memory of this. And he realizes, what am I doing? Maybe this guy, maybe this Christmas is the best Christmas this guy is ever going to have, and I'm stealing it from him. So right in the middle of dinner, Dead Man departs the guy's body, of course, which leaves his host sort of discombobulated. And and you see the woman say, Paul, you were right, and she looks concerned. And at this point, Dead Man just floats away, and he's sort of disgusted with himself a little bit because uh, he realizes that, you know, he's cursed to do this. But he can't kind of help himself. And so then um, he then is raging to the heavens and he says, damn you, Rama. Is this the reward I get for, for serving you and your lords of order? Am I supposed to be grateful for this? And he is just sitting there on a uh, stoop in New York City bemoaning his fate. And uh, that's when a stranger approaches. Yeah, so this is, uh, you know, I think every Dead Man story has one panel with him looking up and yelling at uh, Rama yeah. for his fate. Um, and so here he's really sitting down, sort of, he looks like a sad sack, and this beautiful blonde young woman comes up, and she talks to him, and he's pretty surprised that she can see him at all. He immediately thinks that she must be some sort of magic, uh, you know, some sorceress. Uh, and the woman says, oh, no, you know, uh, she and Magic have never been boon companions. And she says, you know, why don't we talk about what's bothering you? And he seems to, you know, initially, you know, state that he's upset that he's done all of these great works to help people. And um, nobody seems to recognize what he's done. And she pushes him on this a little bit, asking, you know, is that why you do this for the recognition and the glory? And he realizes, you know, that that that's not why he does this. And he gives this great line. He says, there was something about her, about her tone that made me feel like a lichen compared to her, you know, lichen, a fungus that grows on a rock. And so he says, no, you know, I, uh, I used to be a performer and I used to live for the crowd and now I don't get any of that no matter what I do. And she then says, you know, you were cut down at your height, and maybe there's a reason for that. You don't do it for the glory. And then she gives, I mean, this is one of my favorite panels of all time. She looks at him and says, we don't do it for the recognition. We do it because it needs to be done, because if we don't, no one else will. And we do it even if no one knows what we've done, even if no one knows we exist, even if no one remembers we ever existed. And that seems to sort of make him realize, you know, that he's doing this because he's supposed to do it because he's a good guy. And at that point, the bells start to ring, uh, you know, signaling the beginning of Christmas Day. She says that she needs to leave. And he says, you know, who are you? How can you see me? And she looks back and says, my name is Kara, though I doubt that will mean anything to you. And then she sort of turns the corner and disappears. And she said, and he then says, Merry Christmas, Kara, whoever you are. And the story ends with a little box that says, with respect and admiration for the works of Otto Binder and Jim Mooney, we still remember. So, you know, this is a period in the comics when Supergirl has basically been forgotten by everybody because the crisis rewrote everything. And so to have uh, Brenner sneak her in this story is just unbelievably fantastic to me. Now, did you did you read this story at the time, or did you come to this later on? 
No, you know, I'm a sucker for these sort of Christmas issues, and I can remember as a kid buying them because I thought they were so great. I think the one before this has a, a Legion story where they're, like, following the Star of Bethlehem, and mm-hmm. I always thought that was cool. So I actually read it at the time and was just floored. Yeah, that panel, I, when, I, when I read it, I bought this one at the, at the, at the time as well. And, you know, this was just a couple of years after Crisis when Supergirl was, I, I mean, I would argue Supergirl's death out of the Crisis was the biggest event, even bigger than the Flashes, just yeah. because of the way it was done. And just to have Supergirl, have in a DC comic somebody sort of repudiate what was published in a previous DC comic was just stunning. And that, that single panel of her saying, my name is Kara, though I doubt it'll mean anything, was just, it really was like a lightning bolt. And I just couldn't believe that they did it. I mean, I was thrilled. I loved it. But I just remembered reading going, oh, whoa. You know, like they were purposely saying to readers, yeah, we did wipe her out of existence, but she's not out of existence because she's in your memory. She's in our memory. And just because some current continuity story says she isn't doesn't mean that she's gone forever. And I I was just so impressed by it. Yeah, you know, I mean, even as I was reading the story that first time, you know, I didn't put all of these clues together to know that this was going to be Supergirl at the end of all of this, mostly because I think that it had been drilled into our head, you know, she's gone. And so, like you say, when she says, you know, my name is Kara, although I don't, you know, that will mean anything to you, I was just, you know, awestruck. And that other panel that I did, you you know, that I spoke about where she says, you know, why do we do it? You know, we do it because it needs to be done. I actually use that panel whenever I give lectures to like medical students or residents as, uh, you know, inspiration for. Wow. (laughs) So uh, I really love that panel. That's like usually like the second panel of my talk. (laughs) Wow. How, How does that go over? You know, I'm known as, like, the comic book guy. <laughs> and so, you know, I, I know it's funny. And so whenever I give talks like this, people are always like, where is the mandatory comic book slide? Because I try to insert either a panel that discusses medicine from a comic or something like that. And so when I read it, you know, I say, hey, this is, you know, I grew up reading comics as a way to inspire me, and this was very inspirational. And usually people, you know, you see a couple of nods in the room. Nobody looks at me like I have ten heads. So I right. guess at least I got that going for me. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, one of the things that is nice about, I mean, I guess if you know the story, uh, if you're familiar with the story but haven't read it, it obviously seems a little more obvious that who it is. But but when you when you see how it's done, I mean, like when she shows up, she's in regular clothes. You know, she's not dressed as Supergirl. She's in she's like she seems like a regular person. She has these red ball earrings. And, I mean, they if they wanted to tip it, they could have very clearly made them little S-shields or, you know, something. But she seems like a regular person. And, you know, Supergirl was a fairly, I don't want to say generic, but she's, her facial features are not necessarily so distinctive. Yeah. That by Dick Giordano drawing her makes you go, oh, that's clearly Supergirl. It just seems like a blonde woman. And you are just kind of like, all right, what's going on here? So, yeah, so when they get to that last reveal, uh, it is very powerful. And... I, I don't know. I don't. I don't. Um, at the risk of taking it like a little too seriously, there's something so sad to me about the idea that Kara goes somewhere like that. She is. She's aware of her own non-existence. Uh, there's something so profoundly sort of sad about that. And when she turns the corner and disappears, it always just made me like, well, where does she go? Does she go to some unit? Like, is she with all the other characters? from the crisis that have been blotted out 
You know, is she with the Earth 2 Batman? Is she with the Earth 2 Superman? I mean, what, where does she go? It, it's, it's, it's chilling in its own way. Yeah, you know, I picture it like, you know, comic book limbo, right? She's there with all of these other characters that have just been forgotten. But that's sort of part of the power of the story is that, you know, as you read this, it's clear that, you know, she doesn't regret doing what she did that resulted in her being erased, right? She's like, you know, look, you have to do what you need to do because, you know, someone has to do it. And even if that means nobody will remember you, you know, it doesn't matter. So it really was this sort of affirming story for me. You know, you know, this was a time period where, you know, people had said Supergirl was a barnacle on, you know, Superman that needed to be scraped away. And so to have this story sort of, you know, just reaffirm what a hero she was is just wonderful. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's just, I mean, I, I think at the time when, when Superman had been rebooted, I kind of agreed with the idea of making him unique and making him only Superman. But then they brought everything back anyway. <laughs> I mean, like, eventually they brought back Supergirl and Crypto and the Phantom Zone villains. And, you know, it's like it, it, all, all that stuff that, that was meant to be, meant to keep Superman unique lasted, what, two years before they started bringing everything back? No, ex exactly. You know, the... Um the Supergirl saga, which was the, you know, protoplasm matrix from the pocket universe, that was in 1988, you know, and right. this book came out in 1989. Right. And in the meantime, you know, that Supergirl character was, you know, went crazy, replaced Superman, and then like flew off into deep space. So it was bad enough that they like took away the original Supergirl. They bring back this other one who's crazy. Right? So, yeah, you know. So it was a tough, it was like purgatory for Supergirl fans at this time period, so. <laughs> now, let me, while, while we have you on the show, uh, because, you know, uh, you've been uh, you've been a devoted listener to the show for a long time. We've wanted to have you on for a while. Shag's going to be super jealous that I have you on while he's gone. <laughs> but uh, where did you come to your Supergirl fandom? Where, where along in your, in your life did this hit you? You know, um, I started reading comics pretty early. I've, uh, you know posted comments on your site about how you had mountain comics, but I had summer comics because mm -hmm. I would go to yard sales and things like that. And right off the bat, I really loved Superman. Superman was kind of my hero. And, you know, as I'm reading all of these books with Superman, I'm like, boy, he's like perfect. And, you know, as a young kid, I should, you know, aspire to be like him. And then I pretty quickly realized that, you know, you can't be like him. He's too perfect. And so I was trying to find a character that was, you know, as inspirational with just as many cool powers, but maybe more relatable to me. And so, you know, I started to get the Superman Family Dollar comics, read these Supergirl stories. And, you know, she was, you know, she could fail, right? She could lose, come back and win the next issue, you know, or she, she was, you know, I wanted to be a guidance counselor. Then I'm a soap opera actress. Then I'm a grad student. So it wasn't like everything with her was carved in stone. And as a result, I felt like, you know, she is trying to be like Superman. And uh, and she, you know, is hoping that she's going to get there someday. But she's still young and trying to figure out who she is. And she can fail and she can get angry and realize that she shouldn't get angry. And, and so she became somebody that I could sort of see a lot of myself in, you know, I was a kid, I was, I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. And, uh, and I could try to be good. But you know, I could, I could fail and just try to, you know, continue to move forward as much as I can. So she sort of became this relatable character, but she had all of the cool Kryptonian powers. You know, I mean, I looked at people like Ultra Boy, but 
he was like a jock with a hot girlfriend, right? <laughs> you know, that was not me. So, um, so, so that's where it sort of came to be. And, and trust me, it's not easy if you're a 13 year old boy and you're saying like, Oh, I love daring new adventures of Supergirl. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and so, you know, you try to explain it as saying, you know, I really like the Superman family, but you know, I'm not there yet to, that I can say that I'm ready to try to be like Superman. I'm kind of more like her. And then, you know, you go back and you read her, you know, you start to buy back issues and read her old stories. And, you know, she was trying to figure out, you know, would anybody ever love her? Who would her, you know, significant other be? And she kind of does meander through all of these different career paths. Um, but always throughout that, she was bright and optimistic and tried to do the right thing. And and so she was, you know, she was a hero to me you know, for all of those things. Hmm. Do you have a particular, I mean, you must, a favorite iteration of the character? I mean, there's a lot of different sort of Supergirl eras to pick from. Yeah, you know, I try to find, um, you know, the parts in each of her iterations that I really, really like. So, you know, I think that that Silver Age Supergirl is just this, you know, super sweet, trying to help out those orphans. And I don't know if that necessarily resonates too much with me right now, but as she gets older, you know, that Paul Copperberg series when she says, you know, I, I'm going to try to be a student and, you know, I'm going to claim this town as my own and, and I'm going to be the hero for Chicago. And at that point, she had sort of felt like she had made that last step. Like, I'm not a sidekick or in Superman shadow anymore on my own. So for that version, I like that. The Peter David version of Linda Danvers slash Matrix is just phenomenal. I mean, it's not for everybody, but it's got a lot of quasi-religious stuff. It's a story about redemption. He wove so much of her mythos into that new character that, I mean, I would pit the first 50 issues of that run against almost any run. Hmm. Um, and then if you look at the sort of, you know, the um, Jeff Lowe, Mike Turner stuff, clearly the Sterling Gates, Jamal Eagle stuff is far and away just unbelievably fantastic. It, it just felt like they understood the character more than anybody had understood the character for a long time. Hmm. Do you have a, is there a, I mean, those are your favorites. Is there one that you would recommend to somebody who wanted to start with Supergirl for the first time? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, if somebody is saying like, I, I want to pick up Supergirl right now, I would say start with the first Sterling Gates trade and move forward. And that ends with, you know, I think there were like five trades. It's tough because New Krypton is woven in there. And it's almost like they got, came on the book and then were immediately derailed by this massive crossover. But I think they have a great understanding of the character. They give her her own rogues gallery. They give her her own supporting cast. And they really put her a little bit through the emotional ringer. Her, you know, her father dies at the beginning of that story. Her mother dies at the end of that story. I know, um, spoiler alert, I'm sorry. Uh, and then she kind of goes through this period of great grief and comes out the other end. And when you read their final trade, which is the Bizarro Girl trade, I mean, that's just really powerful stuff. Hmm. I would imagine there's got to be more Supergirl trades coming to to match with the TV series. I mean, it would make, it would make a lot of sense to start putting out more trades to get more Supergirl stuff out there because she's going to be so huge in like yeah. a month. I think that they've announced that they're going to come out with um, or they're going to reprint some of the ones that they haven't printed in a while. So like that first Loeb Turner story is going to come back out. And I think they're reprinting some of the Peter David stuff, which I find a little bit bizarre, to be honest with you, because when you see the shows, commercials and trailers, I think they're building on this like, you know, 
I don't want to say girl power, but this young woman who's like bright and optimistic and trying to do the right thing. And, you know, the first Peter David trade, she, you know, is a Satan worshiping girl who merges with the protoplasm. <laughs> from the so, right. And the, the lobe version, you know, she's like wearing a tiny little napkin for a skirt and really angry at everybody. So they don't jibe with the tone of the show as much as I think the Gates stuff does. Hmm. Well, speaking of the show, I mean, yeah, I'm sure you've been asked this before, and yeah, I know you've commented on on, on your, your Supergirl blog, but how excited are you for about this TV show? Oh, I am, I am <laughs> beyond excited. I mean, you know, it's just, it's, it's insane for me to think, I'm sure you probably think the same thing about Jason Momoa in the movie. It is insane for me to think that there's going to be a live-action television show of this character. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, because... You know, when I tell people, oh, my favorite character is Supergirl, most people are like, you know, who don't read comics are like, I didn't even know there was one. Mm -hmm. So, you know, now there's this massive show. It seems to have the right tone. Melissa Benoist just seems perfect for the role. I mean, everything I've seen makes me think that she was like made for this. So, yeah, I'm beyond excited. And now, you know, you hear, you know, they're bringing in the Helgramite and Reactron and General Lane. (laughs) Reactron. Reactron. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, they're really... You know, they're, um, uh, they're you know, combing the DC, uh, you know, universe for great characters to bring in. And, you know, they're paying attention to her own, you know, uh, legend. You know, I mean, there's going to be a live action Reactron. You better be ready for a lot of tweets. Unbelievable. It's, you know, it's funny. I've said this on Fire and Water where it's like, I was sort of, I don't know, I want to say shocked because I don't mean it as, as a negative, but like, I guess it was a little shock, like how much comic fans completely fell in love with the Flash TV show. I mean, it just became com- totally embraced very quickly. I think once it became clear that the Flash was going to be upbeat and sort of very DC Silver Agey in a lot of ways, and I think people just loved it. And it looks like Supergirl isn't even like Flash had to do. Flash had a couple of episodes to get to that point. I think in the beginning, people were kind of like, mm, I don't know, because Arrow has its critics, you know, or whatever. But it seems like from the marketing of Supergirl, what all the stuff they're doing is like, I mean, that one photo of Melissa Benoist carrying a puppy with the little girls dressed as Supergirl. I'm like, they are. This marketing is so pitch perfect, it's unbelievable. I mean, this feels like. I don't know. CBS, CBS must be so thrilled with this because I feel like the entire sort of geek world is just waiting to start watching the show. I mean, like they already pre love it and they just want to just start watching it. Yeah. I mean, you know, you see all over the internet, there are, you know, these billboards in Hollywood and like there's a whole building that somehow is an advertisement for the show. And it's just really uh, unbelievable how much uh, buzz it's gotten. You know, I think that somewhere along the way they said that it is the, you know, it's gotten the most social media clicks and attention of any of the oncoming shows um, far and away. Um, So you're exactly right. I think that everybody's Everybody's really looking forward to this and, and really ready. Yeah, and then boy, whenever they do a crossover, oh boy, oh, that's gonna. I mean, I don't watch the Flash regularly, but like when, they, but I'm I'm totally on board for Supergirl. But I mean, when they do like a Flash Supergirl team up show, I'll be like, this is like the Brave and the Bold. I'm looking at a Brave and the Bold issue live action. Unbelievable. Yeah, you, you know, there was a. Um... I think it was Variety that did a story on Greg Berlanti. Oh, right, right, yeah. 
and they had a cover of Grant Gustin and Melissa Benoist in their costume, and like they're they're laughing and they're like you know they're it's like they're starting a race or something, and I'm just like I am so ready for that. I don't care how I don't care if Mixius Pitlick has to send her to his universe or if it's not a shared universe. Whatever they need to do to have that episode happen, it needs to happen. Yeah, that's uh, it's, yeah. It just it, it, it it's it's such it's kind of just a relief because I mean I think everybody, even the people that are pretty confident about Batman v Superman, they're still a little like. I don't know. This seems lovely, but like you know, the the Flash thing, it just caught people. It's like that's what they want. They want lighthearted superheroes, and now Supergirl is just that times the sort of girl power angle. And like I said, I've seen a couple of the trailers. We, you know, I've watched them at work and stuff. And like, there's one of of her, Melissa Benoist, with a bunch of little girls, and they all have like an S shield tattoos on their wrists. And they, like, stick their fists in the air, and they're like, Supergirl. And you're like, oh, man, this thing is going to hit at the exact right time. And it, it's really great. I mean, I, I don't think Supergirl's been treated all that well by DC over the years. I think this story is an example of that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I thought her death in Crisis was wonderfully handled in terms of the story itself. But I still kind of felt like she was a sacrificial lamb a little bit. And it's nice to – it'll be great to see her be this big of a deal – in the popular culture. I mean, she didn't get a fair shake in the movie. That's a whole topic for a whole other, <laughs> whole other episode. Yeah. Um, but I mean, the, the, it's, yeah, the show, I'm just really, really excited about the show. Yeah. You know, it's funny to even go back to the story. You know, one of the things, um, that got me about this was that it's Dick Giordano who, who drew this. Right. And, you know, when you look back at the crisis, he was one of the people that said, kill her off. Right. Yep. I mean, there's, yep. there's this famous like handwritten note to yep. Jeanette Kahn, yep. like, can we kill her? And, and so, uh, in my mind, I've always been like Dick Giordano is, is as big a problem as Mark Wolfman for Supergirl, right? <laughs> Just ready to kill her. And then I'm like, and then he does this wonderful story and I'm so conflicted about him because I'm like, clearly this wasn't something that snuck by. He was the vice president. Right. So, so it's, it's always been an interesting, I, I I've always wished that somebody had talked to Giordano about the story. Like, you know, did you ask to draw this? He well in in the the interview with Brenner, uh, he talks about that that apparently when the editor brought it to him for approval because they were like Dick, is this okay for us to do? Brenner apparently grabbed the script and clutched it to his chest and said, "Mine." Wow. And that was it. And so in the interview, Brenner has a laugh saying that all these rumors got started that like, oh, Mark Wade got fired because he ran this, and it was like the vice president of the company drew the story. It was, it was literally just, it, 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 he pushed it through. Apparently some of the other people weren't terribly pleased with it, but, uh, Dick was like, Hey, we're doing it. That's it. He loved the story and he asked to draw it and no one ever else had another shot at it. And Alan, as again, as he says in the interview, was a big fan of Dick Giordano. So he was really pleased to get him to draw it. And they had worked before on to kill a legend in detective comics 500. So yeah. And I mean, I think Dick Giordano was the closest DC had to a house style. Uh, they never really had one the way Marvel did, but I think these, Giordano came closest. And so having Giordano draw this story, it just gives it that sort of extra level of like company approval, I think, as you read it. It feels extra official that it's Dick Giordano drawing it. And uh, I, think that it, I think it even just gives it that little bit extra weight. Yeah, you know, he inked the Perez pages in Seven, in Crisis Seven. So, you know, it does have sort of a little alpha and omega feel to it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's a wonderful story, and I don't think it's ever been reprinted anywhere. 
Um, I, I don't think they've ever they've never done a like greatest Supergirl stories book. Maybe that'll be something that's coming down the line as the TV series hit fun hits the airwaves. But find it. It's in Christmas with the Superheroes number two. You can get it very cheap. And said there's a, there's a bunch of other great stories too. There's a Flash Green Lantern story. There's an Enemy Ace story. There's a lot of really good stuff. But this this one by uh, Alan Brenner and Giordano is a real winner. So. Um, I guess that's really going to be it. Do you have anything else you want to add before we sign off, Ange? Uh, no, I'm just uh, thrilled that you guys uh, thought to um, invite me onto the show. As you say, I've been a longtime listener, and um, and this was just a great way to sort of – I've been covering the 30th anniversary of Crisis over on my blog, uh, specifically looking at the death of Supergirl, and this just feels like a great capstone to all of that stuff that I've been doing there. Well, what is your blog so people can find you on the interwebs? Where can they go for your Supergirl commentary? Yeah, so um, it's uh, comicboxcommentary.blogspot.com, which is a terrible name that <laughs> I made when I decided I was going to do a comic book blog and wasn't going to focus on Supergirl. And um, But apparently if you type Supergirl blog into Google, uh, mine appears at the top. Oh, perfect. All right. Yeah, well, everybody should do that to, for if you enjoy Supergirl or just comics, comic commentary in general. Go over to check Angie's blog. We'll have that in the show notes. So, uh, as always, if you want to contact the show, you can email us at firewaterpodcast uh, at comcast.net. The uh, blog is firewaterpodcast.blogspot.com. And the Tumblr, and we'll have some pages from this story in the Tumblr, which is firewaterpodcast.tumblr.com. Uh, so, Ange, thanks so much for doing the show. I really appreciate it. This is one of my favorite stories. I mean, everyone knows I'm totally a fanboy for Alan Brenner, but even among Alan Brenner's stories, to me, this is one of the best. And uh, I hope everybody goes out to buy that issue of Back Issue. There's a ton of great stuff. It's an all-Supergirl issue, so Ange, this is perfect for you. Um, like I said, so uh, thanks for coming on and doing the show, man. I really appreciate it. Well, thanks again for inviting me. All right, cool, very much. And uh, I guess we'll see you guys for the next episode next week or something. Until then, fan the flame and ride the wave. Aquaman and Firestorm Fighting crime together Soak them down or burn them up No one does it better Whenever you find trouble They'll always be there To catch them in a bubble Or even torch their hair Stand for truth and justice And see on land and air Firestorm and Aquaman They make a super pair Aquaman and Firestorm Super friends forever. Yeah! Uh, I, I conceived the somewhat seditious idea of doing a <laughs> dead man story, and at the end, you know, we would sneak in the ghost of Kara zor and, um, uh, and And unlike some of the... There have been rumors circulating that, that out there among fans that that this was done without the knowledge of, you know, of anybody at DC, you know, that it was, it was Mark, uh, Mark Wade and, and, and me sort of sneaking it in there somehow. It's like, it was drawn by the editor in chief and <laughs> president of the company. <laughs> in fact, Mark said he brought it into him for Dick to okay it editorially. Dick read it, clutched it to his chest and said, mine. <laughs> wow. Which was great because I, I, I mean, it's very flattering, and also I, I just love Dick, Dick's artwork, and he did a great job on that. And I think he did. He, 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 he drew Kara in a way that 
in retrospect is recognizable as her, but it would not tip her off, tip readers off rather, the way it would have if Jim Mooney had drawn her. You know, we would right. have known it was Kara from the get go if Jim Mooney had drawn her. So, um, so yeah, it was, and it was actually also approved. This was sent to all of the uh, the the um, uh, the group editors. You know, Mike Carlin signed off on this. Um, where the trouble came in was when the freelancers working for the Superman books saw this, and they said, "Well, wait a minute. We've been saying all along that uh, you know she never existed, and now you say you know have this." And um, and they were really, really quite um, quite distressed about this. Hmm. And uh, they even went. I was told <clears throat> that they even went into Dick, and they said, "Okay, we have a way to make this part of continuity." Because over in, over in Justice League Europe, Power Girl is in a is in a coma right now. So how about if we say that this was her astral self <laughs> that was projecting, and that that's who Dead Man meets. <laughs> and you know, and Dick, you know, God bless him, just said, "Guys, it's just a nice little Christmas story." 